Uh, would you take a moment and open your Bibles with me uh, to Psalm 96 tonight. Psalm 96. And in just a moment, I will read this psalm for us. Uh, last week, if you were here, I preached on the benediction. And it got me to thinking that perhaps it would be beneficial for all of us if I were to do, when I have opportunity to preach, kind of an occasional series on the various elements of our worship service so that we understand what we're doing in worship and why we are doing it in worship. So last week we looked, if you will, at the end of the service. We looked at the uh, benediction as the final word from God in the service conveying to us God's favor unto us for the sake of two things, for comfort for our hearts, uh, that is to say for assurance as God's people of his love, but not simply a comfort so that we might be comforted, but a comfort that is also unto strength so that we would be established in every good work and good work. So that was last week. We were at the end. This week, we're going to go back to the beginning of the service, and we're going to consider our call to worship, and that's why I've got Psalm 96 before us uh, right now. I'm not going to uh, exegete this psalm in fullness, but it is a beautiful call to worship. And, and just one note before we read it to kind of connect it a little bit to the sermon from last week, if you'll recall, uh, last week I referenced Psalm 29 in the service, and I referenced Psalm 29 because it has in it uh, an ascription, an ascription that's contained in verses 7 and 8 of this one in almost the exact same words that are there, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. That's a call for us to give praise to God, to give worship to God. And likewise, I said that the word blessed, but from which we get the benediction word, or that is uh, meaning the same thing, can also be used to bless the Lord. That's in verse 2. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Both of those are called to take our worship unto God, to take our ascribing to God of the characteristics that belong to him. So I'm just pointing that out so you can kind of connect uh, how the thoughts run from uh, the benediction and back to the call to worship and vice versa as well. So here this portion, this beautiful portion of God's life-giving word, I'll read the entirety of Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations... The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. 
He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the clarity of the revelation that you've given to your saints throughout the ages that they might bring to us this exceedingly beautiful picture of you and of your courts and of why you are worthy of all of our praise and our adoration. Spirit of God, enlighten our minds and our hearts tonight. Help us to receive, to hear your word well this evening. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Why do we worship God? Why, why do we heed the call to worship? Why are you here, in other words? Why are you here on a Sunday morning and certainly on a Sunday evening? There are surely other things that you could be doing. There are surely things that you might find more relaxing than being here. So why are you here? Why are we here? Why do we worship God? Now there are countless great answers to that question. And in one sense I've, I've kind of structured our sermon tonight uh, to answer uh, that question. But the, the first ones are the ones that probably come first into our minds, and I'm going to spend the least amount of time on those. Not that they're in any way insignificant, I just want to be able to articulate a couple of more in addition to these. But the psalmist tells us why we worship God, right? We worship God for who he is. We worship God for the attributes that belong to him, for the essence of his being. You don't have to look at these. I've gone through the work of looking through uh, Psalm 96 and Psalm 95. We, we worship God because of what? He is holy. He is glorious. He is majestic. He's full of splendor. He's beautiful. He's faithful. He's righteous. If you flip over to another psalm, very familiar to us, uh, Psalm 100, uh, why do we worship the Lord? For he, verse 5, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness endures to all generations. So you've got, because God is good, because he's loving, because he is faithful. If we went back to Psalm 95 and our call to worship this evening, why do we worship God? For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all God. So we worship God very simply for who God is, for his qualities that make him so excellent, so glorious, so wonderful. In addition to that, in Psalm 96 and in plenty of other psalms as well, we could ask the question, why do we worship God? And the psalmist invites us into the praise of God, not only for who God is, but of course because of what God has done as well. We worship him, in other words, not just for his person, but for the work that he has done in this world. You see that uh, in verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among 
all the peoples. His works are innumerable, of course, but the psalmist gives us any number of the works of God to consider. We can praise God for the fact that he is the creator. In verse 5 it says, but the Lord made the heavens. Uh, in Psalm 95, again from our call to worship. We read this, that in his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are also his, the sea is his, for he made it, his hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So, the first work, if you will, for which we praise God, and the reason for which we praise God is because he's the maker of all things. He's the maker of the seas, he's the maker of the mountains, he's the maker of the dry lands, and he's our maker as well. In addition to that, the work of God is our salvation, because I'm in Psalm 95 right now. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Or in Psalm 2, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. We worship God because of the saving work that he has accomplished. We worship God for his providential work, his care of the world. In, uh, in Psalm 96, that might be reflected in a phrase down in verse 10. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Why won't the world ever be moved? The world won't ever be moved because God in his providential care takes care of the world that he has made so that it won't be moved. We worship God for his reign. Uh, verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. We worship God again in Psalm 96, verse 13, because he judges the world. He judges the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Those are the works for which we praise God. So two things, two reasons then that would be the first ones no doubt that you would say as well. Why do we worship God? You would say well because of who he is and because of what he has done. And the scriptures agree with you and the Psalms agree with those very reasons to praise God. But I want to add to that still another aspect, still another reason by which or for which we praise God. And that is that he is not just a God, not just the God who has done these things and who has this character, but for the psalmist, he is our God who has done this. Uh, now, that's not as clear in Psalm 96 for us. Psalm 96 is written a little bit more generally, but Psalm 95 does make it very clear, this idea of God being our God. He is the rock of our salvation uh, there in verse 1. And then to continue again with verses 6 and 7, which were beyond what I used for the call to worship. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. God has established a covenant relationship with us by which he has called us his people and allowed us to call him our God. And so we worship God. We worship God for these reasons. And there are things that jump right off the page for us for who he is, for what he's done, for the fact that by his grace uh, we are his and he 
is ours. So, if we put this together in a short phrase, and I'm sure you would say this exact same thing, if uh, some non-Christian were to say to you, why do you go to church on Sunday mornings? Why do you go to church on Sunday evenings? We worship God because he's worthy, right? He is worthy of all of our worship and adoration. Uh, that's Revelation 4 and 5, right? Worthy is the Lord. Worthy is the Lamb to receive these things, to receive blessing and honor and glory and power and might and dominion. Or if we put that idea of God being worthy of our worship in the language of Psalm 96, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Right? It, it is a debt that we have to God. It is, it is what God is worthy of, is our very worship itself. Now, I think that these three things are excellent, and I think that these three things are profoundly biblical, and in one sense, these three things are enough. If there was nothing else, if there were no other reasons uh, for which, by which we should worship God, then these would be essentially enough for us. But there is more. And I, I'd like to, to proffer two more reasons for which we worship God this evening. And if you'd like, you can call these points four and five of worshiping God or one and two of this second section of why we worship God. So here's, here's the next one then. We worship God because there is nothing better. Nothing better. Now, when we use that phrase... Like, if someone invites us to do something and we look at our husbands, our wives, our spouse, and we say, do you want to do it? And we're like, well, I don't have anything better to do. Uh, we, we use that phrase in a diminishing kind of way, okay? I don't, I don't have anything else to do, so I might as well uh, do that. I didn't have any plans for Sunday evening, so I might as well worship God. But let's not do that. Let's totally reframe the way that we think of that phrase. Because the idea that I want to communicate here is that there is literally nothing better to do than to worship. Now let's be clear that, uh, you know, that, that we can make a distinction, right? We know, you know, you're well taught uh, in this, you're, you're good reformed people. We know that we can honor God, that we can glorify God, that we can in one sense serve and worship God in all the things that we do in all of our life. Right? Whatever our vocation is, whatever uh, our, our hobbies are, as long as it is a good thing set before the Lord, it is possible for us in all of those things to glorify God. Yay and amen to that. But what we're talking about tonight is specifically and particularly the activity of corporate worship. The activity of coming together on the day that God has set apart from the other days so that we come together as his people with our brothers and sisters with whom we are covenanted to gather to worship and to praise our God. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about this. We're in covenant with God as his bride and we are in covenant with one another as his people and there's nothing better than coming together in worship. And I might ask us, do you believe that? Sports aren't better. The Super Bowl wasn't better last week. Kicking your feet up isn't better. Playing games isn't better. Getting a head start on the work that you've got in front of you this week isn't better. Going for 
a walk isn't better. Do you believe that? That this is the thing that is the best thing of all to worship God. Now, Eli and Etta, I'm calling you out as you're coloring down there. When I was a kid, you couldn't have convinced me of that. You could not have convinced me that worshiping God was the very best thing. I certainly would have put all of the things that I just said ahead of worshiping God. Because it seemed to me that there were a lot of other things that were more fun in life, more enjoyable in life than time spent before God. But worship is something you have to grow into. And when you're growing into it, when God is forming us into this, we're growing into that which is absolutely best. And, and this is where, where I think it's so critical for us to remember that God doesn't call us together for worship in order to restrict our happiness or curtail our enjoyment of life or somehow uh, tie up our freedom, take up our time so that we can't do other things. That's sometimes the way it feels. That's sometimes the way we can think about it. If we didn't have evening worship to go to, we could fill in the blank, whatever that thing might be. We feel that way, but he doesn't call us into worship for that reason, to restrict us. He doesn't call us into worship. God doesn't call us into worship because he's insecure. He's insecure about himself and he just needs a little ego boost from us. So it makes him happy when we get together once or twice on the Lord's Day uh, over the course of a week to come together and say, God, you're great, to make him feel better. He calls us to worship because he wants us to see he wants us to taste. He wants us to hear. He wants to ex us to experience the very best of the best and the best thing in the entire universe is God. Is God himself. There's nothing better than God himself. There's nothing better than being in the house of the Lord even though I know you don't always feel that way. None of us always feel that way. If there were something better than worship. If there were something better than God himself, then rest assured that the God we know would take you by the hand and call you to that thing and say, look at that thing. Look at that. that that's a marvelous thing over there. This is a great activity over here. God would lead us to that and say, try this. He would call you to it. But there's not. There's not. Now, please understand again what I'm saying here and what we're not saying. God's created the world. But what we're saying is, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. This is the highest of highest places, and all the other things will be yours as well. All those, that, right? That's the, that's the promise of Jesus. That all the other things that are out there that are good that he's created, they're part of enjoying God as well. But first things first. Seek the Lord himself. And so he says, come to me. Come to me. And the deepest desires of your soul will find their rest, they'll find their satisfaction, they'll find their joy and their happiness. Or to say it another way, think of it this way. God doesn't call us to worship because he's selfish. God calls us to worship because he is self-giving. He's giving of himself. You are receiving 
right now. Yes, you are offering up worship because God's called you to do it. But you are receiving from God right now. You are hearing the word of God. You're being ministered the grace of God, the table of the Lord, the songs of the saints. He's giving to you. He's giving to you him, his very self in the time of worship. And that brings us to actually our focus tonight, and it's balanced out as I've prepared it in terms of time, but our focus tonight is this final reason to worship God. To, to worship God is namely that God calls us to worship God. Okay, Why worship God? Because God calls us to worship this is the Word of God that we have before us. This is the voice of God that speaks to us. This is the call of God. The call of God is in the Word of God, and the voice of God is in the Word of God. And if you'll allow me just a moment, I want to just try and connect for us to make sure we understand the connection between a call and a voice, which makes sense, but they're different words. So let me just connect them for a few moments with us. This is the voice of God, and in the great conversation that we have been graciously called into, God speaks to us first. His voice is the voice that goes out. His voice is the voice that initiates the conversation. His voice is the voice that calls unto us. So, Psalm 95, we opened with it this evening. It's a beautiful call to worship as well. And I've already read uh, the, the verses after the call to worship, 6 and 7. But I didn't finish 7 intentionally because I wanted to finish it right now. So 7 went in a very positive way. For he is our God and we are his people. The uh, we are his people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. The next line is, today, if you hear his voice... Today, if you hear his voice, what voice? Whose voice? Well, the voice of God. Today, if you hear his voice, what is the voice of God saying in Psalm 95? Well, the voice of God is saying, come worship. Come. Let's worship together. That's what the voice of God is crying out in Psalm 95. And so we're given the opportunity to hear that, to heed that voice, and we're given the warning. The warning on the other side is, don't harden your hearts. There's a temptation when you hear that, when you hear this idea of God calling us to worship, when you hear your parents saying, okay, let's go to worship again tonight, or let's go to worship this Sunday morning, there's a temptation right there, and I'm putting this on kids, I shouldn't put this on kids, because this is just as true for us as adults as well. But there's a temptation to harden your heart, right there. And the warning in Psalm 95 is, don't harden your hearts. As you did at other times, as your fathers did at other times, don't harden your hearts to the Word of God. What's the great command that is given to Israel? Shema. Hear, O Israel. Hear. What are they supposed to hear? They're supposed to hear the voice of God. God is the one who is speaking. God is the one who has initiated the conversation with Israel. It's the voice of God, the voice of God for a moment to go back to Psalm 29. It is the voice of God that in providence cares for the world. 
Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to give birth. The voice of God goes out and sustains the earth. From the big things to the little things, it's the voice of God that is heard. It's the voice of God, of course, for Israel that spoke to them the law of God. It revealed to them the character of God. The voice of God told them the will of God. Told them what God wanted. It is the voice of God that calls creation into being. Right? Genesis 1-3. It's the voice of God that speaks and says, let there be light. God speaks first in creation to create the world. It's the voice of God, likewise, that calls to us in the darkness of our selfishness and of our sin and our preoccupation with our own pleasures. He calls us to faith, to return, to salvation, to redemption. And here again, he speaks first. Right? And, and let's just go to Genesis chapter 3 to see it. Who speaks first after the fall? God speaks first. Where are you? Where are you? It's God reaching out. It's His voice calling out into the darkness to find the man who is, in fact, hiding. We are the church of God. The, in Greek, Ecclesia, the ones who have been called out, the ones who have heard the voice of the shepherd. And because our ears were tuned by the work of the Spirit, we heard the voice of the shepherd, and the voice of the shepherd called us, and we went, and we came, and we became the called out people of God. Called out to serve Him. Like Israel, out of Egypt. Called out. Go to this mountain and serve me. I've called out my people. Go to this place. Gather up with your brothers and sisters and worship me. We're the called out people of God, called out by the very voice of God. To say this in another very biblical way, the Lord calls us, and in calling us, He calls us, to call on Him. He calls us to call on Him. Because the Word says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Romans 10, right? But what's the presupposition of Romans 10? How can they call on Him of whom they've never heard? The Word of God has to go out first. It has to be the thing that goes out first that calls people unto the Lord. In terms of the language from our confession, uh, we can use the idea of effectual calling here. Effectual calling is God calling us out of darkness with a voice that we respond to, that we heed out of His mercy. Now let's apply this to worship itself. The salvation that God calls us into is not merely a rescue 
out of death, out of the out of the sea, out of our drowning condition, plopping us back up on land and leaving us there. Instead, when God calls us out of darkness, when he calls us out of death, when he calls us out of our own sin, he's not just saving us for the sake of saving us, he's saving us unto fellowship with him, unto communion and union with him, unto a covenantal binding between us and God. Then, with that, the call to worship, the call to worship with, with, with which we begin our service is a call to step into the highest expression of covenantal union and communion that we have with God on this side of glory. To step into worship. To step into communion with God. And tonight, to come and take of the table and commune with God himself and with one another. Our, rehearse, our worship is a rehearsal of this covenant that God has made with us, that he's reached out and brought us to himself. It's a renewal of that covenant itself. And the covenants are always initiated by God. Adam doesn't speak first. God speaks first. Noah doesn't speak first. God speaks first. Abraham doesn't speak first. God speaks first. And Moses notices the bush, and he does ask a question, what's this bush? And then we read this, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And that's what the call to worship is. It's the call to all of the people of God and to each one of us, put your name in the place of Moses' name. And it's a personal call. Come, you, and worship me. Tim, Bonnie, Peter, come. Come here and worship me. It's the best thing of the best. And I want you to have the best of the best. And it's me. And it's the worship of me with the people of God. These are the first words of our service, proper. They come from God. They distinguish what we are doing right now from what we did an hour ago and what we will do 20 minutes from now. In a very simple form, they distinguish the uh, announcements and the prelude from the proper worship of God himself. What we'll be doing in 20 minutes, 15 minutes, is good, right? We'll be fellowshipping with one another. We'll be talking with one another. Uh, that's a good thing. It's a sweet thing. But it's different than worship. This is the expression of our covenantal union that we have with God himself. It's a call, a call to worship to this life-giving, life-sustaining, life-enjoying activity of worship. The dialogue of worship, the conversation of worship, the communion of worship begins with the authoritative summons of the king and the gracious, steadfast, loving voice of our Father calling us to come. Come here. Come to me. I know it's hard. I know it's going to take work. Come to me because I'm offering you the very best that I have to give. And the passages that we use for our call to worship 
are passages that are exactly that, that are a call to worship itself. We don't open just with a theme verse. Now, you know that I try and connect the various parts of the service, right? So this morning, uh, we were talking about dawn, and so the call to worship that I chose was the one that said, Weeping may tarry for the evening, but joy comes in the morning. But the call to worship isn't just a theme verse, and it's not just any old great verse in Scripture. Uh, it's not even Psalm 1, blessed is the man. It's not Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It's not Psalm 37, do not fret because of evildoers. No, those are all good. Some of our favorite, I'm sure, uh, psalms. But no, the call to worship is an actual call to worship. It's the voice of God through his servant, the king, or uh, the, the psalmist, the writer of it, saying, come, come, let's come to this place and worship God. But the particular call to worship God comes to each of us through his word. God, our God, is worthy of our worship. God, our God, will bless us in worship. And God, our God, has called us to worship. And that's why we worship God and heed the call. Lord, thank you for the gift of worship. And uh, as Rex already acknowledged and already prayed, it's oftentimes the case that we don't understand it and we don't take it the way we should. But this is the sweetest of times, that which anticipates the great feast of worship that is to come. It's our time together with you and with your people according to your appointment that you have established for us. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you that you first loved us, you first spoke to us, you first called to us, and we rejoice in you, in your son's name. Amen.